All right. Well, we'd like to begin our time with a scripture reading. And tonight's scripture reading comes from Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19. We'll look at the first two verses and then uh, hop over to verses 11 through 18. Leviticus chapter 19, verses 1 through 2, say this. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And then over to verse 11. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely. And so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, you give us a clear command in Scripture to love our neighbor. And Lord God, I pray that we would take that for all that it's worth, trusting you. You are our Lord, and you command of us what pleases you. And God, you not only command of us to love you, but you command us to love others. Uh, here in your word, you say, love your neighbor. But tonight, we're also going to see how you said, love your enemies. And God, I can only imagine what our enemies um, consist of in this room. When we say that word, enemy, uh, whatever comes to mind, Lord God, I pray that you would only bring about uh, that which would be pleasing to you. Uh, and how we would proceed in our relationships with people who have wronged us, who have hurt us, who have, in some instances, broken us. God, would you help us as only you can and empower us through your Holy Spirit to live up to this command of greater righteousness to love our enemies. And God, would you teach us what do you mean by these words? And how did you model it from the cross? God, would you be with us tonight as we worship you? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Like father, like son. Have you heard that phrase before? Like father, like son. Uh, I know I have. Uh, growing up, uh, my dad would have friends come over uh, the house and they would take one look at my thick, wavy hair. 
And they said, you are your dad's son. And they were very right. It's a physical attribute that I didn't have much say over. Uh, it's pretty much genetics. Uh, but I do find it interesting that uh, the commonalities between my dad and myself did not end there. Uh, we also share a love for film and even share some of the same taste in movies. Uh, but not only that, I've also picked up my dad's very bad habit of collecting way more books than we could ever read in our lifetime. Uh, like father, like son. Tonight, we will see from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount how we display our relationship with our Heavenly Father. How people can know we are our Heavenly Father's son or daughter. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. We finish Matthew chapter 5 tonight, guys. We've made it through. Ten sermons in. And we're finishing Matthew chapter 5 tonight as we continue our series through the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, Jesus ascends a mountain to sit and teach his disciples and the crowds as both king and philosopher. He says before this passage, he did not come to abolish the law or the prophets, what we know to be the Old Testament. He came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And so he reinterprets the old covenant in light of a greater view of righteousness that he offers his listeners. It is very different from the righteousness that the Pharisees and the scribes often taught, which was merely external and shallow. What Jesus expects of his disciples is whole person righteousness. And he teaches them what that looks like lived out in six different areas. Anger, lust, divorce, oaths, retaliation, and tonight, love of enemies. They are illustrations for what greater righteousness demands of us, the disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, They're not comprehensive teaching on these topics. but they help. As we've seen, they they challenge us. They probe our hearts to see, do we seek out, do we pursue the greater righteousness of Jesus Christ? Whole person righteousness. Last week, we learned about retaliation and vengeance to see how Christians are not to retaliate. Rather, we are to embrace being wronged, as strange as that may sound. Tonight, we continue our journey through these illustrations to the topic of loving one's enemies, to see what the greater righteousness of Jesus Christ would have for us to do. So hopefully you've you've found Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 43 through 48 tonight. Matthew 5. Verses 43 through 48 say this. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father 
who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The first thing, the first item that we need to address in looking at this passage is that God never commanded the hatred of one's enemies. God never commanded the hatred of one's enemies. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said. This phrase is used in all five passages that precede this one. You have heard it said, but I say to you, Jesus has firmly established a pattern for his hearers, taking their common knowledge about the old covenant and reinterpreting it in light of the greater righteousness that he offers them. He's not raising the bar to a new and impossible standard. He's showing them the true standard that has always been there, whether they realized it or not. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. The typical interpretation of the old covenant is that one is responsible to love his neighbor. We saw this in our scripture reading in Leviticus 1918, which says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. But what occurred over time is that people implied that it was acceptable to hate one's enemy. After all, doesn't it serve one's own self-interest to protect himself from his enemies? We can see how this teaching could sneak its way into the thinking of God's people over time. So, Jesus acknowledges the inclination to hate one's enemy without validating it. Although this phrase, hate your enemy, is found nowhere in Scripture, It is very much on the minds of the people. It is a misinterpretation that requires correcting, which is why Jesus goes on. But I say to you that I there is emphatic. Matthew is using the Greek language in such a way that that I stands out. Jesus is flexing his authority in the second portion of the pattern. I Your king philosopher say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus' hearers who often struggled with the concept of loving one's neighbor are surely perplexed by this reinterpretation. Love my enemies? Pray for my persecutor? 
Jesus clearly commands us to love our enemies. Jesus clearly commands us to love our enemies. Isn't that just like Jesus? To command us to love? It seems like every time we turn a corner in the New Testament, there's Jesus teaching us to love. That command is, after all, the central command in all of Christianity's teaching, isn't it? Later on in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew records Jesus' answer to the question, which is the great command in the law? Jesus replies, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But here in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, love your enemies. The idea being conveyed here is that you would love your enemy the way you know to love your neighbor. That you would love your enemy the way you know to love your neighbor. And he is right and good to command this of us. In fact, he is consistent to command this of us. The command to love one's enemies makes for a beautiful finale in the six illustrations of greater righteousness that we've looked at the past Six weeks. We do not harbor anger towards our brother because we are to love him. We do not lust after a woman because we are to love her. We do not divorce our spouse because we are to love him or her. We do not swear oaths to or before God because we are to love him. We do not retaliate against an evildoer, because we are to love him. And then finally, we do not hate our enemies because we are to love them. It all comes back to love. Each of these is more challenging than the last. They illustrate the greater righteousness that Jesus is drawing us into as his kingdom comes forth. One commentator writes it this way. The command to love and pray for one's enemies is about consistency and about righteousness that pervades every part of the disciple. Not just the external, not just the behavioral part. As we are being drawn into this greater righteousness, this whole person righteousness, we are learning how to love with greater consistency. And what we learn from this passage specifically is that we are commanded to love our enemies because our Heavenly Father loves His enemies. We are to love our enemies because our Heavenly Father loves His enemies. Jesus says, Love your enemies. 
and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Christians love people. Christians love people, not because of who our enemy is and not because of who our neighbor is, but because of who God is, because of who our Father in heaven is and how he loves. God displays common kindness, not to be confused with niceness or mere pleasantries, but genuine, loving kindness that truly benefits people. And if God displays common kindness, then so must we. Jesus illustrates to his audience the common kindness of God in his statements about the weather. Now, Normally, when the conversation gets to weather, uh, you're towards the end of your conversation, right? You've, you've typically, you've run out of topics at that point. When, you, when it's gotten to the weather, it's like, huh, how about that weather, right? You know, okay, this conversation is coming to an end at any moment. But the same is not true for Jesus. When he mentions the weather, the conversation's about to heat up. He says, the sun and the rain benefit both the just and the unjust, the righteous, and the unrighteous. And then Jesus poses four questions to explain his point further. What reward do you get for loving those who love you? Isn't that what the tax collectors do? What more are you doing if you greet only your brothers? Isn't that what the Gentiles do? In these questions, we learn that there are two reasons to love our enemies other than that it is commanded of us. Two reasons to love your enemies. The first, there is a reward to gain. There is a reward to gain. He says in verse 46, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? We can deduce from this verse that there is a reward to be gained in loving one's enemies. Now, we aren't told what exactly that reward is. Uh, but it isn't the type of reward that New Age spirituality pushes. It's not the type of reward where you put in good vibes and you get good vibes back. That's not what Jesus is offering us here in a, in a reward. Uh, and it's not a reward of any monetary value either. Because that is the type of reward that the tax collectors received from those who loved them. Hence, Jesus references them. I think we might be helped by another part of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 18 where Jesus gives practical advice for seeking reconciliation when conflict arises in his church. He says in Matthew 18, verse 15, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault, just you and him alone. And if he listens to you, 
you have gained your brother. Or in some translations, you have won your brother. Now that is a reward. Imagine your worst enemy. Now I know like some of y'all don't think you have any enemies. But if you think really hard, you know you'll think of that one person who resents you simply because you are who you are. And then imagine loving them in such a way that they would be one to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. What a rich reward that would be. That your enemy would love Christ because of how you loved him. I've heard it said by more than one missionary that one of the loveliest ways to endure persecution is to pray for your persecutor to be saved. There is a reward to gain. Then secondly, there is a resemblance to bear. There is a resemblance to bear. Verse 47, And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? If you love those who love you like tax collectors, and if you greet those who greet you like the Gentiles, then you are virtually no different than the world. And you are supposed to be different, noticeably different. Salt and light, Jesus says at the beginning of this chapter. Don't be like the tax collectors. Don't be like the Gentiles. Be like your Father who is in heaven. And the result? The result of loving one's enemies is that you show yourself to be a son or daughter of the heavenly Father. This sounds very similar to a beatitude. Matthew 5, 9 says, Flourishing are the peacemakers because they will be called sons of God. Jesus commends to his audience, be like your heavenly father who is perfect, or if you like, complete, whole. Be like your father in heaven who has nothing to lose. Because in being like him, you have everything to gain. Be like your father in heaven who has nothing to lose. Because in being like him, you have everything to gain. The purpose of this concluding illustration of the greater righteousness of Jesus Christ is to see what it demands of us concerning our enemies. What Jesus would have for you to learn from it tonight is this. You must love your enemies. You must love your enemies to show that you are whole the way your father is whole. You must love your enemies to show that you are whole as your father is whole. What I mean by whole is that your behavior is in agreement. It's in agreement with God's nature 
his will and the coming kingdom. Your behavior is in agreement with God's nature, his will, and the coming kingdom. That's what we mean when we say, be whole as your father is whole. You agree with God's nature, will, and coming kingdom when you love your enemies. Enemies who hurt you. Enemies who scarred you. Enemies who broke you. Enemies who used you. Enemies who abused you. Enemies who trouble you. Enemies who avoid you. You do not love them because they are worthy of your love. You love them to show you have been loved. And you're whole because of it. You display the whole person righteousness of the king philosopher when you love your enemies. You are consistent as your father is consistent. You are complete as your father is complete. You are holy as your father is holy. And you are perfect as your father is perfect. Now, we don't mean perfection in the sense of a perfect score on your exam. Rather, it is perfect in the sense of finishing a puzzle. We aren't talking about moral perfection here. We're talking about wholeness, integrity, consistency, completion. If Jesus was after seemingly moral perfection, as the scribes and the Pharisees were, he would have quoted Leviticus 19.2 verbatim. As it reads, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. But he doesn't. He doesn't use the word holy there. He knows that holy is a loaded word with the religious officials of his day. They looked holy, but were far from it. Instead, he's after wholeness. That you would be the same on the outside as you are on the inside. That you would act in private the way you act in public. That you would love everyone because of how you have been loved. When we put all this together, we see that our constant love Our constant love for others shows God's constant love for us. Romans chapter 5 says this. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified, declared righteous by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. If you are still in sin, you are an enemy of God. 
The sun may shine on you today, but that is because of the common kindness of God. If you are in sin, you are his enemy. And the wrath and eternal punishment that is due you is coming for you. But there's good news, my friend. While we were still sinners, enemies of God, Christ died for us. Christ died for you. There is no greater love that can be shown to you than this. Christ died for you. Would you repent? Would you turn from your sin? And believe in the saving work of Jesus Christ to cleanse you of your rebellion, of your sin. The blood that he shed on the cross will wash all that sin away. It will cleanse you, making you a child of God, no longer an enemy of God. Would you ask God for that to be true of you? And if you're a Christian in here tonight, would you consider who your enemies are? And ask yourself, do I love them? Do you love your enemy like you know to love your neighbor? I ask you, will you repent? Will you turn from your sin? Look to Jesus and see how he loved you while you were his enemy. Jesus doesn't call you to do anything that he hasn't already done. For the sake of the gospel, will you reach out to your enemy? And you, will you love them in whatever way the Holy Spirit prompts you to? Be like your heavenly Father who has nothing to lose. Because in being like him, you have everything to gain.